Welcome to summer kickoff, which means it's summer. So it's felt like that for us here in Fresno for a while, because it always does. Uh, but I want to hit on one thing that if you have any connection to school, like it's already in your head, okay? Back in August, everybody started back, and we all accepted Zoom into our hearts and just figured that school is going to be done on a laptop. And I think in everybody's head, there was the idea, just get me to June. If you're a college kid, just get me to May. But the thing is, now that we're here, I think all of us want something better than just having to survive. Okay, so think about it. If you're a teacher, how excited are you that school is done? Teachers? Yes, that's right. Second straight service, the teachers have been really excited. If you got to the end and all you got was the custodians no longer opening the gates for you, and they're just like, okay, you go on, you made it to the end, be gone, no paycheck. No another year closer to retirement. No another year of seniority. No relationships built. No skills that you've acquired over the last year that seriously nobody thought we would ever need, uh, like a first grader being able to navigate a computer. Um, you wanted something, right? You got relationships. You got a paycheck. You got another year closer to retirement. All those things you got because getting there isn't as important as how you get there. That's a statement that I want us to focus on this morning. That's what we're going to look at. Getting there is, isn't as important as how you get there. And if you're a student, how excited are you that school is over? Very excited because now you can sleep until Wednesday and that'll be a great thing. Getting to June for you isn't just a matter of making it to June, right? Like you got grades that hopefully you'll get rewarded for if they're A's. If they're D-shaped, not so much. But you also hung out with friends. You probably met new people. There were things in this year that you got this year that was more than just make it to June. Oh my gosh, please just help me make it to June. Like part of this journey and everything that we've been through as a year hasn't been just getting to the end of all of it where now we can look at using drinking fountains again and going back to in-person school from eight in the morning till three in the afternoon to the glory of God and the good at stay-at-home moms everywhere. But we're getting more than just making it there and surviving. What I want to look at today is an awkward story from the life of a famous Bible person that really clues us in to the fact that in all of our lives, making it there isn't as important as how we get there. Getting there isn't as important as how we get there. And we're going to look at this week and next week, we're going to look at the life of a person named David. Okay, he was also a king. If you've ever heard of King David, this is the guy that we're talking about. But just for us, before he was King David, he was blue-collar David. He was warrior David. And there are so many things within David's life that relate to you and me. And one of the things is the idea that we're all familiar with. Making it there isn't as important as how you make it there and how you get there. So David had a bunch of kids, and sometimes his kids fought. Anybody else can relate to this? Yes. Sometimes David had problems at work, and the guy who he worked for kind of wanted to kill him. Anybody else feel like that's your story sometimes? Yes, I see that hand. David had issues with his friends, and sometimes his friend's parents wanted to kill him, and it was a really awkward friendship, and you're like, how am I ever going to be friends with this person whose parents want to kill me? Anybody else ever been there, right? Like, we have friend issues. There's so many things within the life of David that all of us can relate to. And today, we're going to look at this idea of getting there, whether or not it's more important as how we get there. And I'm going to say that how we get there, wherever there is in our lives, is way more important than whether or not we actually make it. 
So we're going to look at a story uh, from the life of David in 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you've got your Bible or your app, you can go there. We're going to read most of the chapter. And what's happened up to this point is there's a king in Israel, which is the country where David lives. His name is Saul. He started out great, and it's kind of like a roller coaster, okay? He goes up really fast, and then he goes down even faster. Like Saul is at this point almost to the descent in his life. Like he's made some bad decisions. He's had to suffer the consequences. He's about at the bottom where the roller coaster coaster goes underground type of thing. Within Saul's leadership, within Saul being king, David comes in. And David comes in because God decides, this is a person who's going to work for me. This is a person whose heart is similar to my heart. And even in all of David's absolute carnal, if there was a movie about him, I wouldn't watch it. But all of those parts about David's life, God still has a plan for David. God's will for David is still for David's blessing and David's benefit, just like it is for you and me. So we're going to look at a point where David has an opportunity to fast track him getting to the place where he thinks that God has for him to be, the place where he like says, this is God's will for me to occupy this title, for me to have this job. He's got an opportunity to fast track it by bending some rules, by cheating in some areas that seriously nobody could ever find out about. Like, he could have done this and had everything packaged up and everything looking neat and tidy, but in his heart and on his own hands, he would have blood. And instead of taking the easy way out, David takes the hard way out, because for all of us, getting there isn't as important as how you get there. So we're going to check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse uh, 1 is where we're, sorry, 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. I've been spending all week with my kids. We were on vacation. So after hearing them talk, I can say that both David and Saul in this story are a little bit sus. Nobody's clean. Everybody's a little bit sus. And so this is what it says, 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul had, def- had returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En So Saul chose, get this, 3,000 elite troops, remember that number, 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the fields of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, because if you read it fastly, nobody will understand what it said, went in to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. There's an exclamation mark. Why is this exciting? Because up to this point, Saul has been on a rampage to find and kill David. And so what's happened is he got back from war. He got 3,000 people to help him out on a Saturday to go find this guy. And so they've been out in the sun where it's really, really bright. Nobody has sunglasses, anything like this. And they walk into a cave. And so what happens immediately? You walk from a really dark place to a, a really light place to a kind of dark place. You can't see anything. And so Saul, completely blind, has just walked into a cave. And the thing is, is David is hiding inside the cave. If David didn't know how to fight, if David was small, if David was one thing or whatever, like this would be nothing. But David is a warrior. And the guy who's trying to kill him has just walked blindly into the same cave that he's hiding in. He's hiding inside of. So we got a situation here. We got the victim, the, like the totally vulnerable, antagonistic, angry king. And you've got the guy who could snuff him out immediately, and no one will ever know. They can fully, just like they say in the movies, make it look like an accident. Like it's going to be perfect, right? But the thing is, is that God has different plans. God's will for David isn't to take the easy way out. He's got more for him. And so the first question for us 
is what does it sound like when you say this out loud? What does it sound like when you say it out loud? You can say, this is what I think we should do with our money. This is what I think we should do with our relationship. This is what I think we should do with our kids. This is what I think we should do for school. This is what I think we should do in any big area of your life. But once you verbalize it, once you say it to other people, once you bring other people into the situation, what does it sound like now that you say it out loud? And like I said earlier, because I learned from my kids, both kids are sus in this. Both guys are sus in this. Saul said that he had just gathered 3,000 men after defeating the Philistines. What does that mean for us? That means that he went from fighting a war against the country to now let everybody go home, call 3,000 people back to go find one guy who doesn't matter. Like we have those friends who call you whenever they're doing a big project in the backyard and they need you to come help or something in the kitchen and every single time you go to help them, you're convinced that you're doing the right thing and then you leave there, just totally your mind blown about how disorganized and how painful that was and how horrible that was and you're never gonna go help them again until next week when they call again, right? That's Saul in this situation. He's the person who's calling you to ask him to come track down David because this is the 15th time that he's tried to kill David. 15 times. So all of his warriors, they've just finished fighting a war, and they go home to their family, to their kids, to their wife, all this stuff. And Saul calls. He's like, hey, I want you to come help me fight David. Because Saul didn't say it out loud. I'm going to get 3,000 people who just finished one war to come back and fight another war. But instead of fighting a country, we're just going to pick on one person. This doesn't sound like a good idea. And so David's in the cave, and Saul walks in there. He's blind. David could do whatever he wants. And David's guys are right behind David, and this is what they say. They say, now is your opportunity, David's men's whispered him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. The only problem is the Lord never said that. There's never a point where, where David has permission to kill Saul. Saul is God's anointed king, even though he's made tremendous mistakes. God never says go out and kill Saul. And it's an issue of saying it out loud. Once you verbalize it, you get an opportunity to say, what are the things that I'm, what are the, what's going on behind these decisions that I want to make? And so David has an opportunity to fast track what he feels like is God's will for him by breaking the rules. He's got a chance to bend some things, hide some things, make sure that nobody finds out about this, but everything is really going to be okay. So the question for us when we're in that situation is, what does it sound like when I say this out loud? What does it sound like when I say this out loud about my finances? What does it, say, what does it sound like when I say this out loud about our relationship as fellow Christians? What does it sound like when I say it out loud within our marriages? What does it sound like? Because we are forever, we will forever be guilty in our ability to deceive ourselves and make every bad idea to sound like the perfect idea for us in every area of our life. And the reason that it's good to talk about things is because God sometimes speaks to us through his Bible. He sometimes speaks to us through his spirit that lives inside of us. And sometimes God speaks to us through you, through the people around us. And this stuff happens as we say things out loud. And people have an opportunity to say, you know what? You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that with your money. You shouldn't do that with your marriage. You shouldn't do that with your sexuality. God works his will out in our lives as we say things out loud and give people an opportunity to pour into our lives that way. Second thing is, what does this do to my conscience and loyalty? What does this do to my conscience and loyalty? So David crept forward and he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Like That's what he is. He's got an opportunity to kill him. But instead of killing him, it says he cuts off a piece of his robe because David's conscience began to bother him. 
because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I think the quick point in that is that you and I, regardless of how you come here in your understanding of what religion is and who God is in your life, you are loved by a God who will never leave you. We worship a covenant-keeping God. In our world, everything is contract, which is built on mistrust. It's as soon as you stop doing these things, I'm gonna withhold this blessing. As soon as you stop showing up to work, I'm gonna stop paying you, that type of thing. But what God says is he is a covenant-keeping God. And time after time in this portion of the Bible and then demonstrated perfectly in Jesus, God says to his people who are anything but perfect, kind of like us, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. What about when we mess up in our marriages? I will be your God. What about when we ruin our finances because of bad decisions and poor management? I will be your God. What about when everybody leaves us? I will be your God. And so that loyalty is reflected in David's life. He's got an opportunity to take out God's anointed king, and he doesn't do it. Instead, after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out, and he shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul turned around, David bowed low before him. It's honor, it's reverence, it's loyalty. And then he, showed, and then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I am trying to harm you? This very day, you can see with your own eyes that it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. You were blind, you were exposed, you were vulnerable. I could have killed you and I didn't. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. Right there, it's David's speech to Saul. Like, I could have done a million different things, but I chose not to. The question here is, is when everything in our life is just a story to be told, what story do you want to be able to tell? When everything, this moment here, in five years, 10 years, however many years, we're going to look back at 2019 to 2021, and all it's going to be is just a story to be told. Nothing more. The question is, what story do we want to tell? And right here, David has his moment to fast track his path to being king of Israel and having no more worries whatsoever. And instead of fast tracking it and doing a few things that he could easily hide or easily explain and everybody would give him the benefit of the doubt, he does what God wants him to. And I think that hits us in two ways. The first thing that I want you to hear right now is any, the first thing that I don't want you to hear is any sense of guilt or condemnation because of the decisions that you have made in your life in the past that have made your life tougher today. That because you messed up your first marriage that God's angry with you. Because you did, had kids before you were married that God's angry with you. Because whatever thing that you could put in this that God's angry with you, that's not true. God punished Jesus for our sins. Jesus took on the wrath of God that was meant for you and me so that God could look at you and me with eyes of grace, which means favor that we did not deserve, but we have because of Jesus. And what God does in this for all of us, whether you're King David or person who comes to Sunnyside, is he gives us the opportunity to have our lives tell a different story. He gives us the opportunity to have our lives tell a different story. And it happens in two ways. The first one is that we look at our failures differently. 
We look at our failures differently. There's a guy who understood the Bible, who understood God, who understood everything so well that he completely missed who Jesus was. And in a moment of honesty, he says that every single person has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That includes me. That includes you. That means that when we look at our past and our present and what is inevitably going to come in our future, for every single one of us, there are going to be areas in our life where we failed. I fail as a man. I fail as a husband. I fail as a dad. I've done all those things recently. And Jesus gives us a different way to look at our failures. Because our sin is what put Jesus on the cross, and then it was covered. And then it was paid for. And then it was forgiven. And then it was taken from our record and put on Jesus, and the penalty for that was paid in full. That means it's not ours anymore. Our lives tell a story because we can embrace the fact that our old story, that our life before Jesus and even after Jesus, because we're still human, sometimes is a disaster. And then Jesus comes in. The second way that this changes our story is because Jesus gives us a different story to tell. One of my favorite verses, one of my favorite sayings of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weak and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. You can write it down in your hand and look it up later. Come to me, all you who are weak and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's saying that you've got a story to tell. Your life is going to tell a story. Everything that we've been so freaked out about over the last year is eventually just going to be a story to be told. And in that story for all of us, there's going to be good things and there's going to be bad things. And within all of our story, God has a desire to teach us how to live in a new way. Give us a new story to tell. I used to be this thing. This used to characterize, characterize me. And what we talked about last week is all these different groups of people, all of us were once that, but... We've been cleansed. We've been holy. We've been made holy. We've been given a new life through Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Is he gives us a new story to tell. What story will we be able to tell? For all of us, our lives are going to consist of stories before Jesus, how Jesus changes us, and how we can live a new life with Jesus. Because that's what he does is he changes lives. He gives us a new way to live. That begins with faith. That begins with us trusting everything we know about Jesus and trusting that with everything that we know of ourselves. That means we give God our relationships. We give God our sexuality. We give God our finances. We give God our understanding of how to do family and how to do work and how to do all these things. Everything goes to him. And then in every way we can think of, we absorb what he wants to tell us, how he wants to shape us, how he wants to make us into new people. We do that through reading the Bible, the book that he wrote, the picture of that he gives us of how to live and how to model and shape and prioritize our lives. We do that by what you're doing right now. So you're at least one out of three. Congratulations. It is we surround ourselves with other Christians who love us enough to tell us the truth, who love us enough to tell us the 5% that nobody else will tell us. And we spend time in prayer to let God talk to us to let God separate right from wrong in our hearts and in our minds. And that's how we live a new story because God gives us a new way to live. And then the last part, the last question is, will this crush the other party? Will this crush the other party? This is the loyalty piece again, is that all of us in our lives, we've got the ability that there are people in our lives who have hurt us and we could absolutely crush them if we told everything. If we treated them the way that they've treated us. If we gave back to them what they've given to us. 
whether it's parents, whether it's kids, with whatever. But Jesus doesn't do that. David gives us a picture of this. Verse 16, when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, is that really you, my son David? And then Saul began to cry. He's broken. He was physically vulnerable. Now he is emotionally vulnerable. And he said to David, you're a better man than I am, for, I have been, for, I have re, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't. Who else would let his enemy get away when he held him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness that you have shown me today. That's a picture of Jesus. If you're here and you're a Jesus follower, you understand that he didn't pick you for his team because you're amazing. He invited us into relationship when we were dead in our sins, when we were the most vulnerable, the farthest away, the most sinful, the most broken we could ever imagine. That's where Jesus stepped in and invited us into a relationship with him. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wondering, what is this all about? Is this a rule? Is this just a list of rules? And the truth is that the list has already been written. We've already failed. And Jesus invites us into relationship anyway. One of the things that he says in a different part, in a different conversation to a different person, he says that Jesus didn't, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through me. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have forgiveness. We can have a new story. We can have our sins, our old life, our old record washed away because it's Jesus' good news, which he earned and he invites us into. It's forgiveness that only Jesus can give that he invites us into. It's new life that Jesus bought for us and then he invites us into. And so this morning, that's what we're celebrating. And as we look at God's will, God's plan for all of us, what this centers on, what this focuses is on, is that in this world, we're going to have trouble. Sometimes that trouble is because we're going to make bad decisions, because we're going to flat out blow it. We're supposed to do one thing in family and finances and, and relationships and jobs and this and that, and we're going to totally do the other thing. And within that, God overcomes the world. He overcomes our sin. He overcomes our shame. He overcomes our guilt. He overcomes the way that we have brought brokenness into our relationship with God. And Jesus forgives us. He gives us a new way to live. He gives us a new story. And that's the beauty that it is for us to follow Jesus. That's something worth celebrating today. That Jesus gives us a new way to live. He's seen our old way. And so he gives us a new way, trusting him in everything that we know. Let's stand and pray.